Hi, everyone. This is Jen DeWall. And in this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Kevin Mowers, the CEO and president of Extended Management, a Crestcom franchise located in Northeast Ohio. In his business, Kevin focuses on leadership development using a specific process that ensures good leaders grow into great leaders through change of behavior. At the end of the day, Kevin's personal mission is to move hearts in Northeast Ohio by making people into better individuals in their personal and professional lives. Kevin and I are going to be talking all about conflict today. And Kevin has lectured and presented on many topics, such as restorative justice, social justice, organizational development, and leadership development theory. He's also a contributing author to the little book of restorative justice for colleges and universities, written by one of the godfathers of restorative justice, or RJ, Dr. David R. Karp. Join our conversation as Kevin and I talk about where we get conflict wrong and how to resolve conflict in a productive way. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And in this week's episode of the Leadership Habit podcast, I am sitting down with Kevin Mowers, president and CEO of Extended Management, a Crestcom franchisee. And you're located in Ohio. Kevin, how are things going for you today? How are you doing today? Uh, It's gorgeous here in Northeast Ohio. Sun is shining. Uh, Northeast Ohio is actually known for one of the cloudiest places in the country. So the fact that the sun is shining right now is a good thing. Today is a good day. Well, great. Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a Crestcom franchisee. We know that the Leadership Habit Podcast is hosted by Crestcom, a global leadership development organization, but you are one of the people that's bringing leadership development to your organization. And I just want you to tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into our topic today, which is all about how to resolve conflict in a healthy way. But Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Honored to have this opportunity to, to talk with you. It's this is a passion of mine as far as talking about conflict. So looking forward to our conversation today. Uh, a little bit about myself. So originally I was born and raised in Michigan. So I'm a transplant here to Ohio. Um, you know, so, so moved down here to, to Northeast Ohio about eight years ago. Uh, spent my career working in higher education prior to doing what I'm doing now with Prescom. Um, you know, always had that leadership aspect of it, but to do it now full time is a, a great thing. I love the outdoors. Uh, so my, my people that are in Denver, Colorado, I'm a little bit jealous of everything you have out there to offer, but I, I do spend my time outdoors here in Ohio. I uh, love to, to get outside and do some fishing, play golf. Uh, one of my passions, something that a lot of people don't know is I'm actually a competitive archer. Um, so I've been shooting a bow since I was a little kid and uh, probably the last 10, 15 years, I got into it competitively. So uh, I practice probably once a day, at least an hour in the backyard, just shooting my bow, working on some skills. And then I compete in monthly tournaments around the state of Ohio and even nationally at times. So uh, married two kids, uh, two beautiful little girls. So I'm a, a girl dad uh, and, and absolutely love it. Wouldn't trade it, trade it for anything. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. And things are going well here in Northeast Ohio. Loving what I'm, what I'm doing right now. All right. I'm proud of the question. How would you relate archery to leadership? Oh, uh, that is a whole nother podcast that we could do. my <laughs> friend. Uh, there are so many overlaps, especially from the mental side of the game. Um, uh, but, uh, to, to do it well, to compete, it, it takes a process, which is leadership. So, uh, I could talk about that all day. We, we'll save that for another conversation. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Kevin. So what made you, I know that you're, you know, your background is within higher education and I know that you're passionate about leadership, right? That's why you're, we're here today, but what made you invest in the Crosscom franchise? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of reasons. One, I was at a point in my career where I said, you know what, I, I'm missing the things that I love to do day in and day out, which is, you know, the, the development of people. So uh, one of my, my final roles when I was uh, at Kent State University was as the director of housing. So I oversaw the entire housing population, but it removed me from some of the day-to-day conversations around what does it mean to be an effective leader? What does it mean to be a better person day in and day out? Um, and I missed that. So I, I knew it was time to, to start looking at what I want to do to really make sure my purpose in life was being fulfilled day in and day out. So that was a big factor of it. Um, there's thousands of trainer, training programs that are out there. Um, I started looking for something that was going to be different. Um, and I found Crestcom. Uh, and, and when I started looking at Crestcom, I could tell that there was a difference by both the process and the people that were involved with it. And, and I think for me, uh, those are the two things in which I would say uh, are the reasons as to why Crestcom is is what I do is because when we we develop our program, we develop our process. It, it's intentional. It's purposeful. Um, it's it's built off of foundational things that you need to be a leader. Um, so that was really important for me, you know, to to know that I I could have content that was sound, that that was proven, that that is vetted and and, and developed in a way that's going to actually move hearts in a way. That makes people become better. Um, but the other part of it too, Jen, was, you know, when I had the chance to go to Denver and to meet with the team at headquarters, um, you know, I, I saw something different there, you know, like they were nothing but supportive, um, you know, did all that they could do to, to help me get to where I wanted to be when it, com- when it comes to this business. And, and that continued after, you know, I, I bought in and, and started doing what I needed to do. So, um, you know, there, there is this element of, of, of family when it comes to what we do here at Crestcom. You know, like we, we're all doing leadership work, but it takes something a little bit different, a little more intentful and purposeful that, that really separates, you know, us from our competitors and why we do what we do. Oh my gosh. I love that you said, you know, you use the word heart, which <laughs> we're both passionate about leadership, but still sometimes people don't necessarily add heart or love into that equation. And I just think that's so special that that's one of your pieces is to want to lead with heart. And because I do, I love what, you know, Crescom global organization, that means that there are individuals all around the world that are developing leaders and, you know, all of us and our missions and purposes, I know that we're going to create or help others achieve greater heights and greater outcomes than they could have before. But I just love that heart is one of the things that brought you into this business. And I'm sure. Oh, what were you going to say to that? No, yeah, that, that that's spot on. In fact, I, I I take my personal mission a little little bit further. So my 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 mission, my life purpose beyond just what I do with Crestcom or, or doing with coaching individuals or or you know the volunteer opportunities that I'm a part of here in Northeast Ohio. What I'm trying to do day in and day out, my personal mission is to move hearts in Northeast Ohio. That's why I made the career switch. That's why I did Crestcom. That's why I do the things I do today when I volunteer my time. That's what I do in the archery world, you know, believe it or not. I move hearts. I want people to become better as individuals day in and day out. When we're better at, at work, we're better at home, we're better at home, we're better for, for the relationships that we're a part of. You know, that's what it's about is moving the heart. Yes. Well, let's talk about how we can move the hearts in the frame or re- frame of reference of conflict. Sure. 
So now we're going to be talking, we're moving into, you know, talking about how to resolve conflict in a healthy way, because there are so many examples when conflict is not handled appropriately. And of course, as a leader, as an employee, you know, conflict at work is a part of work, but it doesn't have to be this, you know, atrocious, heavy, awful thing. It can actually be the thing that helps us move our teams forward, helps us make better decisions. But Kevin, how did you become interested in understanding conflict? Well, so you're getting I, your doctorate right now too. Like, I, I mean, we haven't really touched on your background of why conflict is a important area of you. So if you could even share or shed some insight on that as well. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's a story. Uh, you know, I, I love storytelling, which you'll hear me talk about a little bit later in our conversation, but you know, for me, well, I, I gotta go back a long ways. Right. So I, I think all of us probably can think back to our earliest childhood memory. Okay. I and mean, if you think about that for a second, like, it might not come readily available, but for me, my earliest childhood memory is actually not a good situation. It was a, a violent situation. So I grew up in a household, uh, you know, with, with, with two parents, siblings, um, but there was a lot of violence that was associated with my upbringing. Um, and in, in, without going into detail, but what that memory is, like, it, it wasn't good. It, it left some scars. It left some, some, uh, emotions that I didn't know how to deal with as I grew up. Um, it bled into a lot of other things that happened. And in one of the, one of the parts of my story that I, I often talk about is all the things that have happened to me now, I can actually trace lines all the way back to that moment, how I made decisions, how I respond to certain things, how now as an adult, certain things play out and I make decisions as a result of that. And it all comes around like how to deal with conflict, how how emotions are tied to that. And, and, and what happened to me was, you know, as I grew up, I found myself in situations in which, you know, I, as a, 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 a guy, as a male, I was actually rewarded for being, you know, violent at times, you know, hey, you're the tough guy, right, you know, tough guy, masculine. I played sports. So the harder I went in sports, the harder I hit, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the more aggressive I was, I got my name in the paper, you know, I, I got, you know, rewarded, you know, at the end of the year, you know, my dad would praise me, you know, the coaches would, you know, elevate my status, you know? So, you know, I, I was getting all these messages that, uh, you know, as a young man, like, this is what you need to do. This is what it takes to be a man. Um, and, and, and for me, I always struggled with it because I was like, I, I, okay, I have to do this, but it doesn't feel right. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with these situations where, you know, I, I find myself in these conflict situations. I was taught as a kid, you either fight or flight, and it was unacceptable to, to, to run away. So you toe the line, you throw up your fist, you grit your teeth and take care of business, right? That doesn't work when you go to college. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you went to college, first gen college student. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know what that experience was going to be like at all. Um, I quickly realized that my way wasn't going to work. And fortunately, I had an RA who sat me down and said, hey, Kevin, you can't do this. And you can't do it because it has an impact on others. It, it's, it's having an impact in ways that maybe you didn't see. That was the first time I ever said, wow, okay, it's not about me. I can't run around the dorm saying whatever it is I want. I can't run around the dorm, dorms being a, a bully and, and getting away with things. Like, I got I to gotta be mindful of what this means, Right. So fast forward a couple of years, you know, that, that was kind of a pivotal moment as well. I, I became a hall director, a professional, I graduated from college, um, you know, got hired as a hall director. 
had the opportunity at the University of Michigan to learn about this thing called restorative justice. You know, when conflict happens, there's a way to, to manage it. There's a way to deal with it, focusing on harms more than anything else. When I heard that for the first time, I can truly say, Jen, that there was a weight lifted off of my shoulders because my whole life, it was this, it was fight or flight. It was put your dupes up and let's go. You know, I wasn't fighting people at work, but boy, I was taking that hardline aggressive approach. When I realized and I learned that there was a different way, I got extremely passionate about it. I wanted to pursue that and learn about it because I realized that conflict was always a part of my life. I was always finding myself in situations which crisis and conflict was there. But boy, at the end of it, I wasn't feeling right about what it, it, how I was managing, how I was a part of that process. So I really wanted to find a way to do it differently. Uh, I wanted to stop the cycle of things that happened in my life so it didn't impact you know, my wife and my girls and the people that I care about in my life, like the people I work with and who I lead in, in, in certain places. So um, the, the quest and the reason why conflict is a passion, you know, again, it starts a long time ago, uh, but it hasn't ended in any way, shape or form. It's a journey. It's a process, just like anything else we talk about when it comes to leadership. You know, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. You know, I'm still finding ways to, to talk about this and to, to, to share this and, and to learn about it so that you know, I can benefit others because again, it's about moving hearts. It's about making people better. So that's kind of the why abbreviated version. I can actually give you a, probably a two hour talk on just that story alone. Uh, but again, maybe we'll say that for another podcast. Well, I think Kevin, you said a lot of very, you know, insightful things and also just great points of hopefully reflection for our listeners. So thinking and reminding ourselves that obviously conflict is emotional yeah. and conflict, whether it, you know, obviously doesn't, even if it doesn't go physical, the, the burden of conflict, of feeling in conflict with someone, of even getting energetically into conflict and riled up around conflict is emotional. It can add more stress. It can damage our relationships. It can impact our ability to think clearly or make decisions or, you know, even sleep. Yeah. Um, I love, you know, just reminding people like, this is why we want to find a healthier way to resolve conflict, which is what we're going to be talking about because it is emotional. So when we don't address it or just pretend it doesn't exist, it's actually just playing, you know, it's still making an impact. You just may not be able to see it. But exactly. the other thing that I like that you shared too, Kevin, is that I think something that a lot of people don't really talk about, like in the sense of how did you learn how to resolve conflict? And for many people, that likely is their upbringing. Whatever they observed in their home became this tool of how we understood or maybe a process or a way um, of how we thought that we should approach conflict. And so hopefully to our listeners right now, they're thinking, and I'm talking to that person, like maybe it's that person that was you in that in the dorm, right? When you knew that you were not handling conflict. Maybe that was me in my 20s. Like I always had this prove it thing. I always needed to prove myself to people. And I felt like I even damaged relationships because I was more concerned about being right yep. than I was about necessarily doing the right thing or detaching from the outcome that didn't really matter. And so I feel like there are a lot of people here that if you found that you maybe didn't respond to conflict in the best way, and maybe there's this example that you're thinking of, you know, know that this is still your opportunity and what Kevin and I are going to be talking about today to find healthier ways. So long story short, just don't beat yourself up for it, but also take responsibility and, you know, find a different way so it can improve your relationships. And of course, your own mental health and ability to be successful. Yeah. So 
Kevin, what is conflict? What is conflict? <laughs> oh, great question. I think if we would have figured this out by now, I think the world would probably be in a totally different place. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's that that question has always been my starting point in this conversation for a couple of different reasons. But I think every one of us knows what it feels like. I think everyone can kind of put their finger on a situation in which, you know, conflict has happened. Um, I challenge it to some degree. And what I mean by that is when we think about conflict and if we define it in its basic forms, uh, conflict is, yes, a difference. So a differing opinion. But what what makes a situation truly a conflict situation is when it becomes a prolonged, ongoing uh, difference, but something that also has a serious and significant impact. Okay, so think about that for a second. If my wife and I have an argument over where we want to go to eat, is that a conflict situation? I mean, it's not prolonged. So by that, it's not necessarily prolonged, right? Right. Right. So, it, you know, it's an argument. Like she wants to go to Applebee's. I want to go to, um, you know, Subway as an example. I, I, food choices aside, <laughs> right? uh, you know, but, but that's not a conflict situation. We had a disagreement on what we, we wanted for dinner that night. Now, what would happen in that same situation, right? Uh, what, what would happen if, if every time we wanted to go out to dinner, I chose, and she had no voice in saying where, where, what, where she wanted to go. Would that then be a conflict situation? If she's frustrated by it, absolutely. Because right? every time you're picking the place to eat. Right. So it's just <laughs> a long notion, it, it, but it also will have a significant impact on her at some point too. Right. Might maybe from a health standpoint, maybe from a mental standpoint, um, that prolonged process is a part of how I push back and I define what conflict looks like because the reality we find ourselves in conflict situations all the time. You know, like to, to say that there's not conflict in our life is a bold faced lie. And I would challenge anyone who says they don't have conflict in their life. Um, now the difference between arguments, fights and conflict, there are some subtle differences in it. You know, an argument is, is a simple disagreement. You know, you and you and I, for example, right? Like you think podcasts are the best way to reach people. Maybe I think social media is the best way. It's, we could argue that. Okay. Right. Is there a significant impact at the end of that conversation for either you and I? No, we have a different opinion. Um, is there a prolonged argument over it? No, you know, it's, it's a one-time thing. We're not in a conflict situation. Okay. Um, what would change that is if you and I were working together on a regular basis and we're in the same office space trying to do this work and my belief that social media, you know, is the best route and your belief that podcasts are the best result, best outcomes. Um, and, and you insisted that this has to happen in my life then becomes impacted because I don't buy into it. Then maybe we're in a conflict situation. Right. Okay. There's the difference. So when you ask me, what is conflict? You know, my response is it's a difference certainly, but what makes it different, what makes it really switch into this world where it's, it's a conflict situation is when we have prolonged, you know, arguments, prolonged differences that start having a significant impact on us as individuals. And when I say us as individuals, it's not just me, uh, but it's also you. It also could be the people that are around us. So if we're in an office building, it could be our coworkers. If we're at home, you know, so if my wife and I are constantly arguing over the same issue over and over again, my, my two girls are going to be impacted by that. Right. You know, that's going to impact their friends. Uh, that's going to impact my in-laws because every time we go over to their house, you know, we're arguing and fighting, right? Like that, that, that there's that, that for me, there's that shift of, all right, we had a disagreement to, no, this is now a conflict situation because of those two factors. 
I think it's important that you reference that. And maybe this is, I think of, as you were talking about that definition of conflict and it being prolonged, um, the thing that kept popping into my head are maybe people that might initially be conflict avoiders and how really like, think of it in the situation where if you're a conflict avoider and you are observing a situation and it is perceived to be a single or individual instance, it's not really conflict. It's just a difference of opinions or a difference of approach. And I like that because it softens it. It becomes a greater conflict, you know, obviously as you're talking about when it's prolonged and then it escalates and it has a greater impact on both of us, but maybe this is just an opportunity to help reframe. Is this a one-time event? We yeah. can resolve this. It's not going to be a full-fledged, like, yep. you know, conflict. You have a choice on how you show up and how you manage yep. the situation. Yeah. And I, I think that's that, that that's a spawn-on point. It is a moment for us to, to reframe what this looks like, you know, because immediately what comes after that question is what is conflict? Like, then then why does it exist? How does it exist? Right? Like, where does it come from? And, and my argument there is that, you know, this, this is a natural response for us. It's part of our personalities. Okay. Um, so this month at CrestCon, we're talking about how to manage personality traits, right? right. Um, great topic. You know, there's thousands of, of personality trait assessment tools that are out there. Uh, I, you can take any one of those things and, and, and figure out personality traits. And I will guarantee you that if you split them down the middle, half are going to be conflict avoidance and half are be the ones that usually cause the conflict. Okay. So if you take 10 people and put them in a room, five of them don't want to deal with conflict in any way, shape or form. And five of them are like, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. In fact, I'm going to probably poke a little bit to make conflict happen. They might not say that, but that's their natural tendency. That's their personality traits. So for me, kind of going back to that story I shared before, I thought I was good with conflict. I thought I, I could manage it. But when you break my personality traits down to who I really am day in and day out, I am conflict avoidance all day long. I'm a peacekeeper. I'm going to do all I can to avoid conflict situations, which is why I didn't handle it well. You know, so that natural response, you know, and it's part of who we are. That's that's why these things exist. You know, conflict's always going to be here. You know, because we're we're talking about people. You know, and anytime we're talking about people, we're talking about emotions. We're talking about things that are bringing things out from deep inside of who we inherently are. So if if emotions are tied to this, then we know people are tied to this. And if people are tied to this, there is a reason why conflict happens. And I've always said that because a lot of people will will, will sit back and go, I don't know why conflict. I don't know why I'm always in these situations. I don't know why X, Y, and Z happen. I push back and say, actually, there's probably a reason. Let's, Let's step back a second and say, all right, the people are involved. Why and how? And then why are they involved? Because of the emotional response. Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it frustration, confusion? You know, so... So for me, uh, why it exists, where does it come from? Um, it, it comes from an inherent part of who we are, deep down inside. You know, so how, for me, knowing that it's then tied to a reason, we can then figure it out. We can figure out how to respond in a way that makes it healthy, but also productive in resolving that conflict. So if we're to, if there's someone, you know, listening right now, that's thinking I might be that person that always finds myself in conflict. The first thing you would say, why does, why does that happen is because it's a, the natural response. It's part of your maybe personality style, your learned behaviors. Why else do you think conflict occurs? Yeah. You know, you mentioned it before and I'll kind of bring it out. Uh, Who we are today is based off of our experiences in life. 
Um, our experiences in life drive our beliefs. It drives our values. So that's a big part of this conversation, right? Like we, we, we make, you know, ourselves who we are based off those experiences. And as a result of that, that's where some of those emotions will come out. Now, the beauty of it is we get to change. We can always stop and pivot in different directions, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, but to, to dismiss that inherent drive, that inherent part of who we are, um, and not recognize it as a part of that conflict situation actually will cause more harm down the road. So one of the things that I'm studying right now and, and really spending time uh, focusing on is this intersect between how our personal identities and conflict exist. So usually when conflict situations happen, we don't talk about how us as individuals are deeply impacted. More importantly, we don't, when we figure out what the solution is, we don't account for how to repair the damage caused to those identities, which is causing leaders to then make ineffective, poor choices on how to move forward. What happens then is you always, and you hear this in our media, you hear it, you hear it all over the place. You know, somebody will do something as a result of a situation, but then they're retracting a statement or they're issuing an apology or they're doing something to kind of back that up because it caused more issues you know, for the group or the organization, right? So how we make decisions, how we move forward, you know, how we repair the harm. And I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit. Um, that all stems from this inherent drive, who we are as individuals based off of our personality types. That's why it exists. That's why it comes out the way it does. I mean, and it's the simplified way of understanding that it's just who we are. And I guess the example that I think of, you know, as it comes down to who I am and values, one of the things that I had to observe was even how I treated people that were late for meetings because it, my, one of my values was respect. And within that definition of respect, it was, you know, you respected me, my time, if you showed up on time. Yep. And I have just found as I've gotten older that while that might be true at some point in time, how I learned that message, I actually do not think that even works anymore for values because especially in this virtual world where many people are going back to back in meetings, like they're going to have to maybe grab some food, check in the kids, do whatever they need to do. Or remembering that people aren't intentionally trying to yeah. make things off over you, but it honestly took me, me, me going to a show with a friend who was late and she is always late still to this day. It does not matter. Like now I just laugh and I'm like, we'll just see what she gets here. It's fine. Um, but it took her going, like going to the show and us being late for the show for me to say, Hey, I'm going to let you know stuff that this is actually one of my boundaries. But I just decided that instead of being frustrated with her, cause I love her so dearly that I, I was just going to change the way that I approached it instead yeah. of looking at respect as, you know, in that definition, I actually had to adjust my definition of respect because truly in that situation, stuff wasn't trying to dis respect me no. stuff just doesn't manage your time well <laughs> like it's not about me yeah but just, i think it takes yeah, that, time to realize that <laughs> yeah I, that's a great story in fact i'm going to come back to that story and use that as an example a little bit later here because it ties into how we then can respond i think what the, the what you did and how you responded is beautiful there's purpose intent and it ties directly back to the conversation we're having today Crosshelm is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. 
Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. So let's go into like, so when does it become a conflict? So it, it's when it's prolonged, yep. and there's a significant impact. When does it, when else does it become? So we know why conflicts happen. It's differences yep. of opinion, it's people, it's your values, your beliefs, but when does it actually become a conflict? Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the piece I would add to this conversation uh, around when and how and, and why, you know, outside of this inherent drive, there there is a power play at, at, at hand that we're talking about. Um, you know, that, that normally when we're in these conflict situations, it's one versus another, that, that there are elements of power struggle that are in, in place, you know, and it could be boss, employee, it could be, you know, relationship driven, you know, husband, wife, partners, whatever the case may be, you know, but there is this push and shove notion around how to establish power and and establishing power also comes from a natural place. We do that so that we protect ourselves. We do that to to preserve the things that we care about. Um, And and I always, you know, at this point, I I always say we, we can look around us right now in our world and our culture and have examples of good leaders and bad leaders. And they all have power, okay? There are some bad leaders with a lot of power making some really bad decisions, and it impacts a lot of people, okay? But there are also some really good leaders that have significant power that can make a real big difference in their organizations or in the the things that they're leading, okay? So this power thing is not a bad thing. I state it as a part of this conversation because it's part of the reality that that when we're in these conflict situations with, especially with other individuals or with, with driving values or beliefs, there is that, that, that push to want to establish power for a preservation standpoint, um, to, to protect the things that we care about that can cause harm. I always challenge people, especially from a social justice lens of how do you use your power? How do you use your privilege to make a difference? How do you maybe create equality? How do you create these situations in which, you know, conflict situations are managed in a way that is actually healthy? That's the difference. Okay. So when you ask me, you know, where does it come from? You know, I always come back to here, the heart, right? How, how do we drive ourselves? Um, but recognize that the, the, there are inherent flaws in that process. And we make choices to your earlier point on how we manage them, how we make choices moving forward with it. And I think you <clears throat> mentioned it like something you alluded to this that like when we're looking at conflict and you know talking about it as kind of competing or a shift in power, power isn't necessarily a position of a leadership position. I have this authority over you. Power might also just be feeling like you are seen and heard yeah. and having your voice actually make an impact or just having having someone listen to you. That is a form of power. So power isn't always a title. That's what I'm hearing you say, right? It's not just about, you know, who has this authority. It is about maybe getting your voice, your idea heard, or just feeling seen as an individual. Yeah. Empowerment, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You said a spot on, I don't even want to add to it because it was, that was perfect. (laughs) So what type of conflicts have you seen at work? 
<laughs> uh, any and all, but probably not uh, nearly enough to be honest with you. So um, I think one of the, the working in higher education, working on a college campus, you see a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> um, and, and I always, you, you put, you put 18 year olds in a 10 by 10 dorm room. It really comes out. And I, I, I one of the ones that always pops in my head is I call it the burrito story. So one of the roles I served is in a previous life was when something happened on campus, especially if it was a violent situation, um, my role was to come to campus and actually make a decision in the moment to remove the student from campus. Okay. So I get a call at two o'clock in the morning one night, you know, I'm, I'm fast asleep, phone rings. I'm like, Oh, here we go. So I answer the phone. You know, the, the response on the other end was from our, one of our police officers and the officer says, Kevin, we need you to come in. We need you to make the decision to remove this kid from campus. And I'm like, okay, what happened? He assaulted his roommate. Okay. I'm on my way. Didn't get all the details. I just had to get to campus. Right. So get to campus. You know, they had this young man in custody um, in in one of our offices. I walk in and I say, okay, what what happened? This this young man was intoxicated. He wasn't putting together two words. And I'm like, all right, this is not good. Ask the officer what happened. So the officer proceeds to tell me that, you know, this young man came home from a party, walked into his dorm room. His roommate was fast asleep, sleeping in bed. He flips on the light, walks over to the refrigerator, pulls out a burrito, sticks a burrito in the microwave, you know, hits four, you know, starts to nuke it. Um, his roommates start saying, hey, you know, I'm trying to sleep. Shut the lights off. You know, how? come on, it's, it's two o'clock in the morning. Like, shut the lights off. This kid doesn't say anything. He's intoxicated. Micro, mic, uh, microwave goes off, you know, beeps. He pulls out the burrito, takes one look at his roommate throws a burrito at his roommate, hits his roommate in the face, gives his roommate a third degree burn. Okay. Sends his roommate to the hospital. Holy cow. Yep. Thus the <laughs> assault side of it. So, you know, the police officers are like, Hey, he assaulted his roommate. He needs to be kicked off campus immediately. He needs to be removed from this university. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to argue that. Okay. Like that is a bad situation. Is it a conflict situation? Wow. Okay. So this is where it gets a little challenging, right? So I'm dealing with a situation in which, you know, you have a young man who's highly intoxicated. He's not even put together sentences. I have officers that want him removed. What did I have to do in that moment to be a leader? Okay. How did I have to make my decisions? It was a challenging situation. Ultimately, what I decided to do, remove him for the evening. Uh, he had alternative housing off campus. Next morning, we schedule a meeting. We talk about the, we, we bring him in, ask him what happens. He doesn't even remember it explain the situation, realize though that they had ongoing conflicts leading up to that event, that they were having roommate issues, that they were constantly fighting. Um, removing this kid from housing was appropriate. Moving him from campus, different story. You know, because I, 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 I would be jeopardizing his four-year degree at that point, right? Um, that was going to be determined at a later date. I share that as an example for a couple of different reasons, right? Because you can look at that and say, that's a terrible situation. Of course, he needs to get kicked off campus. But the kid was not a bad kid. He made a very bad choice. One that had a significant impact, right? Yeah. One that, that caused significant harm. Should he lose his opportunity at a four-year degree? That was a totally different conversation, different you know, set of, of parameters that we had to look at at another time and date, right? I was brought in to make a decision about immediate harm and impact to campus community, all right? I wasn't going to make a determination that was going to impact this kid's life the rest of his life. I was a part of that at a later point. 
But I share that story for a couple of different reasons. Like when you ask me what kind of conflicts have I seen, that's probably the extreme side of it. You know, I, I've seen personality, you know, arguments. I've seen, you know, significant mental health issues that, that have impact on our community. I've seen, uh, you know, situations in which personal life struggles come into play at work, you know, that impact how people make decisions, right? Uh, it, it, I love that question and, and, and I appreciate it because while I can continue to go on and give countless examples, almost every one of them are going to come back to an emotional response that people have. So it come back to something that's impacting who they are, you know, their values, their beliefs, something is leading up to it. And that's why I make the argument and go back to what some of I said earlier, there's going to be a reason behind something that's going on. Now, if we take a rash decision and, 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 and make decisions off of, of, of limited information, are we going to cause more impact? Are we going to deal with these complex situations in unhealthy ways? Chances are we probably will. I rather make a decision with, with as much as I can so that I make healthy decisions, make healthy choices, make decisions that I know are going to deal with conflict in a healthy way. Oh my gosh, this is where, why we as individuals always need to be, I guess, very attuned to how we're feeling. Because as you talked about the fact that it's prolonged, it's so that incident, you know, with the roommates might have been pretty clear, like you could see the conflict brewing after you had the conversation. But when for those that are still struggling to maybe get their brain around, but what about these perceived isolated incidents where like that's still a conflict? Well, the reason that it's prolonged is because maybe you have been telling yourself, my company is not treating me well. My boss isn't treating me well, or like this is happening and you're not saying anything, right? Conflict avoiders. This is when we're pushing down, not saying anything, not saying anything. And then, you know, every, all the stars align and then it becomes conflict. But really had we been more attuned to who we are, done more self-reflection, processed our emotions, all of the things that sometimes we have a tendency to just think like, oh, that stuff is fine. I've got stuff to do. I don't have time to sit and evaluate how I'm feeling about something. If we actually lay that groundwork, we can be better. And I just love that point of conflict because it is really putting the accountability on the individual to say, you have to take responsibility for what's irking you, bugging you, stressing you. And if it's something that you can control, it is your then responsibility to have a conversation, to take that action. And because that's what makes it prolonged is it's your, it's the response around conflict or maybe what we've been tolerating because we don't feel like we have a voice. Right. I, I think that's so powerful because I, it really just, um, it helps people for me. It helped me understand that prolonged at first. I just kept thinking of it being a prolonged conflict same situation between two or, you know, two parties, but really it's, it can also just be at the individual level of perceived, you know, misgivings, misfortunes, frustrations, so on and so forth. And that if you don't take responsibility, it just could be that next situation that, you know, causes you to respond in a way that, you know, you didn't want to do or show up. Exactly. Let me, let me show you another way people often get this wrong. Okay. So let me ask you a question, Jen. What is two plus two? Four. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> no, think, think about, no, seriously, think about it. Like, are you sure? Like, really? Two plus two is four? You think so? Yes. Two, two plus two is four. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Are you sure? I, one more time. Are you sure? I mean, Yes. Should I think it's not anymore? Well, yes. Okay. It's okay. All right. So <laughs> all right, thank you. So, all right, let's, let, let's process this for a quick second. Right. Okay. Two plus two. All right. What was my question? What's two plus two? Right. 
Well, T-O plus T-O-O, those are two different words. I'm not even talking about numbers, Jen. You know, you, you went to numbers right away, right? So what happened in, the, in that question, right? It seems silly, right? But it, this is a great example for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you and I, I, I was asking about something totally different. I didn't even frame it the right way. We talk about how that, that plays out and all that thing. But you went to numbers, I went to words. Okay, that's one issue. When I questioned you, what happened? You were like, what, what? You know, like you had this emotional response, right? Um, you, 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 at one point you're like, I think so. Like all of a sudden you have this uncertainty. You might even have a little fear, like what? Like I got this wrong. Like, but, <laughs> but I sense like a little frustration. I, at some point you'd probably get angry and be like, no, like I'm right. At, at some point you're going to look at me and you're going to, you're going to make an inference about me going, Kevin, you're a dummy. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I am done with this conversation, right? I call those inferences. Like we are constantly pulling data, making these inferences, um, assuming that the, the, the way, there are things that are happening away because of what we know, right? And, and of course, two plus two is four. We know that, right? But but you, you could see in that quick example on how that conflict situation could have played out, how that emotional side of it really drove yeah. the response, right? Um, that's what happens in these situations. And, and what we are finding, especially now, in, in 2021 is that people are landing in, in these polarizing extreme places, right? You know, they're talking about something simple like two plus two, but if I'm saying it has nothing to do with numbers and you're saying it's all about numbers, well, guess what, Jen, you and I, we can't be friends anymore. I can't associate with you anymore. Your opinion, it does not align with my opinion. I don't value the same thing that you value. We're done. Why are we going to have this conversation again? You know, like that, that right there is harmful. That has significant impact. Like that's where people get it wrong right out of the gate. You know, is that those inferences take place. We jumped uh, up what I call the ladder of inference. And I'll talk a little bit about what that looks like here in a second. But we jump up these ladders of inference and we, we get to a place where it's like, you know what? Polarizing extreme. I don't even want anything to do with it anymore. All of a sudden there's this conflict. Is it a conflict? Eh. Okay, let's back this up a little bit. I'm glad that you bring that piece up. And I mean, because in the U S and of course, every country, every country has unique, you know, challenges, whatever's going on. But as I'm talking about, even the U S for the last year and a half, two years, it has been that in terms of how people have resolved conflict, it has been extremely divisive. There have been a lot of assumptions, regardless of what side you're on. Like, if you believe in this, you're a complete X, If you believe in this, you're a complete X and it really has created a divide. And I am so tired of allowing politics to be a reason that I don't connect with people because it's, I just don't understand. Like for so long, my, I have many friends that we have different points of view. We do not agree on the same things. And for so many years, we could have those conversations and still be friends and be fine. Who cares? And then it felt like within the last few years, all of a sudden you were meant to really take a stand and like no more. And no more trying to work with them. It's just all judgment on their values, what you perceive for them to believe. And you miss out on all of the wonderful characteristics of how diverse we truly are, because you just take one judgment and assume that that is who they, who they are, the person that they or the values that they stand for. I am so sick of that divisiveness and truly for leaders, it is your job to figure out how you can unite those opinions. Like I'm sick of it. There are so many people that I love that we may not have the same views on a lot of different things, but it does not take out that value that they bring to my life, how much I care about them. I'm so 
tired of the divisiveness. I hear so that. tired of it. Oh, amen to that. I, I, it, it, it's a challenge, right? It, 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 it has shaped the way that we operate in 2021 and beyond. What I will say is this is a chance. This is an opportunity for us to reframe how we approach conflict, you know, because those aren't conflict situations. Yeah. When, when you make, when you have a, an argument, a disagreement, and then you make it polarizing, you have jumped so many different places to the, get to that extreme that, that there isn't a chance for that to, to come back to, well, what's really going on? And that's, an, a part, that's a part of this process. It's a part of repairing the harm caused when we, we, we find ourselves in these situations. You and I simply having a disagreement about something does not make us enemies. It does not make us you know, polarizing where I can't associate with you. But yet the narrative that has been written today is that. I say as leaders, reframe that. I say, let's back that up. And really push the notion of what does it mean, you know, to have discourse? What does it mean to have arguments? What does it mean to be in a place where, you know, my values, my beliefs can still live, um, be different at times because that brings value to the organization, brings value to the people that I, I associate myself with. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to hang out with people who are all like me. That, that makes life right. really boring, you know, and it doesn't allow us to move forward as organizations either from a leadership standpoint, right? So. How do you how do you navigate? How do you create these environments to which this lives in a healthy way? That's the key. Yes, let's. I, hopefully, this podcast can change people's perspectives because again, it's our role as leaders to unite and value those differences. Yep. I know you wanted to come back to the ladder of inference. What the heck does that mean? This is an expression <laughs> I've never heard before. So, what is the ladder of inference? Yeah. So, you know, for me, this is this is probably one of the first critical steps in helping resolve the conflict situation. So if you find yourself in these conflict situations, you know, I want to give you some tips and things that you can do to actually help resolve conflict <clears throat> in, a, in a healthy way, right? So the, the first and foremost is this notion of, of, of a ladder of inference. So we, we have decisions that we have to make all over the place, right? You know, think about driving, for example. How many decisions do you make while driving a car? Yeah. Thousands. Right. Right. You have to collect data. You have to make decisions like you are constantly making these inferences of things that are happening. Same thing applies in relationships. When somebody does something, um, you know, we, we have to, to make decisions in order to, to move forward. Otherwise, we'd be frozen literally in time. We wouldn't go anywhere. OK, so let me go back to an example you gave earlier. OK, so you're my boss. I'm your employee. All right. You schedule a nine o'clock meeting. But I show up at nine thirty. I knew the meeting was scheduled at nine by showed up at nine 30. Now you can sit there and go, Kevin knew about that meeting. Why was Kevin late? Well, he deliberately came in late. Well, if he's coming in deliberately late and he does this on a regular basis, he's always late. That means Kevin is a bad employee. Can't count on Kevin. He's unreliable, which means I got to let Kevin go. All right. It's not working out. All right. Does that seem unreasonable? No, if I'm always late, okay. Is that a conflict situation? Yeah, it's prolonged, right? It's causing impact. You schedule a meeting and I'm not there. There's there's all kinds of things that come out of that, right? Well, let's back this up a little bit. Instead of you jumping from Kevin's always late to Kevin needs to get fired, what's really going on, all right? I scheduled a meeting at nine o'clock. He didn't show up to 9.30. Let's engage in a conversation. Jen says to Kevin, Kevin, why were we late? What's going on? Kevin responds back with, Jen, I apologize. I have to drop my kid off at 845 for school. And traffic getting out of school right now at the beginning of the year is terrible. 
the soonest I can get the, the, to work is 9.15. You know, then when I got here at 9.15 today, I couldn't find a parking spot. I got here as quickly as I can. Okay, I understand that. So this has happened quite a bit. Yes, Jen, it's the beginning of school year. Three weeks in, people can't figure out how to drop their kids off and get them out on time. I think this is going to change. I think it's going to get different. Okay, Kevin, what do we need to do to help that conversation? I think if we schedule 9.30 meetings instead of nine for the next two months, it might help me out. Okay, different conversation, right? Different outcomes. Kevin's mm-hmm. not getting fired. Kevin doesn't feel like I, I don't know why I'm talking third person, but the course of that conversation changes, right? So when I talk about the letter of inference, what I tell people is, all right, when these things happen, our response is going to be emotional. So we put that in check. Don't jump up the ladder of inference to the point of drawing bad conclusions. Walk that step down, walk up the rung of the ladder one step at a time, find out the right pieces of information. When you get to the top of the ladder, essentially what you want to do is you want to take action, right? If we're standing at the base of the ladder, we have all this data, we have to figure out what data is relevant. We have to figure out how to interpret it. We have to then make conclusions that allow us to take action. We can't do that if we're making rash decisions. So the first tip I have as far as resolving conflict in a healthy way is stop personally and make sure that you're collecting the right piece of the data. Make sure you're having the conversations, the dialogue, asking the right questions. That's going to help you land in a place where you can then make decisions. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's an important real life example. I know in my experience in HR, we, um, I had a similar situation. There was an employee that had some personal things. I think they were actually also school related for her children. And she had asked the leader if she could, you know, they had already had a little friction, right. And it was about something unrelated. And then she asked if for two days of the week, if she could adjust her working hours to later because of school drop-off. So it was something around that. And this leader took it all the way up the ladder to getting HR involved to thinking like, do we need to let this person go? When in actuality, like this person was a great employee. There was a, there was a, I would say, just an individual thing that was going on with her kid, with their schooling, that she just needed a little bit of accommodation, not a reason to lose that. And my heart, even hearing that employee, I was just more from an HR perspective, bless the hearts for like, you know, the type of employee relations HR professionals have to, you know, work and manage through because some of them are just, you know, it's a result of someone, as you said, going all the way up that ladder of inference and making a decision instead of being like, is there something I'm missing here? We do this a different way. And then you watch the employee being upset. You watch the manager being upset when it didn't have to get to that point. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that because there are a lot of examples. I'm sure other leaders can think of where if we had just backed up and walked, you know, down and then back up the ladder, we could probably see the situation in another way. So that's one tip. So what is the, so the ladder of inference is one tip. What's the next tip? Yeah. So the second tip I'm going to give you is storytelling. So I've mentioned storytelling a few times now. And I mentioned just in that last, last example of the letter of inference, understanding and trying to learn more. The importance of storytelling when it comes to conflict is huge. I would say probably the biggest thing you can do to help resolve conflict, okay? What do you mean storytelling? I don't have time to hear or listen to your story. I'm, I'm mad. I'm you, I take, take the time. Um, you know, because it, what, what happens, I think we know how to tell stories. I think we can, we know what that looks like. So I'm not going to spend time there. But what, what happens when you're telling stories it's one, it's allowing you to understand the other person's perspective. It's, it's helping you get a deeper insight on what that emotional response is. Um, asking the right questions in those stories is going to be critical. You know, so 
dialogues are great. Um, in, in the restorative justice world, we have things called circle dialogues in which you, if there's people that are involved, you bring the people together in a circle to talk about it. Um, and just having, meaning like a circle formation. Yeah. Yeah. Simple, okay. a simple circle formation. But, uh, you know, the point is people are, everyone who's impacted, everyone who's involved, they share their story so that everyone gets to hear that. Um, using a trained facilitator, a, a trained uh, mediator that helps ask those questions is, is it, it, those are all good things that help tell the story. The other reason storytelling is important and why it needs to happen when it comes to resolving conflict is it breaks down walls. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when we are in these conflict situations, the first thing we do, we have these emotional responses. The second thing we do is we build these walls. They're defensive walls. Oh, I'm a, I'm a professional wall builder. And by the way, I was teasing about storytelling before, but (laughs) I am definitely a professional wall builder, even though I know better. Exactly. (laughs) So it, we we tell these stories. We we ask people to share their stories. We listen to help break those walls down. That's the significance of it. You know, it helps us understand as as people who are trying to resolve the conflict, understand the impact, the harm that's being caused of it. But it's also allowing the walls to come down because if the walls are still there when it comes to trying to implement a solution, nothing's going to happen. We want those defensive walls to come down so that we can talk about you know, the next best thing in this process, tip number three, which is finding solutions that address the harms. Okay. So, so number one tip, check your ladder of inference, you know, tip number two, storytelling, find ways for people to share their stories when they're in these situations. The third thing is find ways to repair the harm. Okay. And let me talk about one thing real quick before I jump into this. There's a difference between rules and impact. Okay. Our society is driven off of rules. Think about it for a second. If you, if you drive down the road right now and you go hundred miles an hour, it's against the law, right? What's going to happen to you? Yeah. I'm breaking. I could get a speeding ticket. I could hurt someone. Yep. Yep. If that happens too many times, you're going to lose your license. If that happens, they can lock you up, insert whatever situation. Typically there's going to be a rule that's tied to that. Our, our society is driven off of that premise. So if you break the rule, then the question becomes, how do I punish you? All right. Yeah. What's the consequence? What's the consequence? In this conversation, what I'm saying is instead of saying, what is the rule? I'm saying, what is the impact of that rule being broken? So in that specific situation that we just talked about, you driving hundred miles an hour, you could get in a wreck, get severely hurt. You might hurt somebody else. Um, you're causing an officer to have to pull you over to deal with you when they could be dealing with something else. I mean, you could go on as far as what the level of impact is, but there is a difference between this notion of rules versus impact. What I'm saying is a tip number three in this is focus on the impact, focus on the harm. Okay. Um, go back to my wife and I, for example. Okay. Um, you know, we can, we, you know, we can get an argument on how our finances are, are used. Right. Um, you know, where we spend money, um, how we spend it, all that stuff comes into play. I could get really upset about her spending 40 bucks at Kohl's. Or I can come back to the conversation and say, hey, I, I, I'm struggling with this because that $40 could have paid for the kids basketball camp this year. You know, so it's not only impacting me because I'm upset about that, but you know, it's impacting my daughter because she can't do, she can't do basketball camp. And that's just an example, right? Um, focusing on the rules. So instead of my wife spending $40, I'm not worried about that. That made me upset. I had that moment. I'm then talking to her about, all right, the impact of that then is this. 
That's the difference. Okay. So when we find ourselves in these complex situations at work, somebody showed up late, somebody broke a rule, somebody did, somebody did X, Y, and Z. Okay. That lives, that has its place. But then our conversations need to then shift to what is the impact? What is the harm that's caused by that situation? All right. When we check our inferences, when we storytell to understand the full, you know, aspect of what this looks like, we understand a little bit better what that impact and that harm is. That then allows us to focus on solutions that address those harms first and foremost. That's how you start resolving conflict in a healthy way. That's what leads you down the path of saying, all right, there's a solution to this. There isn't an extreme polarizing, I'm right, you're wrong, you broke a rule, I'm going to punish you. Okay, this happened. Let's figure out how to resolve it in a way that's going to make a difference. I think you pointed or to a place that I think a lot of people get it wrong, right? They miss the opportunity because all of it, you know, when we think about storytelling, it's connecting people to the big picture, which remember that your new hires, um, people that might be new to the workforce are not going to be thinking big picture because that's just not what they've needed to do, or they haven't been a part of their, your organization to really understand that. And your storytelling allows them to see their impact. And without it, without connecting to the why, you can keep telling them to do the exact same thing, but when they don't know why, they don't necessarily have the motivation or they don't understand the consequence of not doing something. And maybe it's your, even if you're thinking about that employee, because I know that they're there that are like, oh, I hate the grunt work. I don't like the stuff that's redundant. Well, you know what? You're, the stuff that you perceive as grunt work is actually essential to how we treat our customers. It's so important. And so I think, you know, just taking the time to slow down to speed up and actually start with that storytelling allows you to find the solution. So I love that. But why? So why else? Because you have other benefits. Yeah. I know you want to talk about like, why else? So when we yeah. can focus on identifying the impact, which I also thought of even, um, and I know this is a probably not a perfect example as it relates to that, but in this month at Crosscom, we're talking about, or we share the story of Sully and landing the plane on the Hudson. And when I think about, you know, some of the I guess, feedback that he received after this, it wasn't great, right? He didn't follow protocol. He, But yet, when you look at the impact, he saved all of those lives and landed it, you know, appropriately. And I even think about that. And sometimes, yeah, we have to determine and not only stick to the rule, but think about the outcomes that we're getting. Yeah. So not sure yeah. where that relevance, but I did oh, connect it is, to it, that. It's, re- it's relevant, right? Because I think that forced the aviation industry to re- frame how they approach a situation like that, right? You have rules. He broke the rules. Let's punish him. Well, actually, no, we have rules. He improvised. He actually did all the right things, saved lives. We need to check ourselves. We need to back this inference up a little bit. We heard his story. We heard what really took place. Let's figure out solutions then that make sense. We're not going to punish him. We're not going to fire him. We're actually going to hold him to esteem in what we do. So so thank you for sharing that. I, I, you, you, you said something that kind of triggered a few thoughts, you know, the why, you know, why, why is this important? You know, why, why should we look at inferences? Why should we storytell? You know, why should we uh, focus on solutions that, that, that think about the harm and the impact? When we start thinking in those lenses, first and foremost, what that does is, is it rebuilds trust. So when we're in these situations where conflict happens, trust usually is the first thing that's in question. Okay. To what degree? Totally different conversation, but we allow ourselves to start rebuilding trust in that conversation. The other thing it does is it advocates for the needs of the things that are taking place in those situations, typically the emotional needs, but there also may be other needs at play, right? So that, that latter example I gave you, 
I, I need to drop my kids off at school. My needs are there. I can't, I can't just send my kids and say, good luck, right? <laughs> you get to advocate. You get to actually help me in this. You're advocating for my needs. Um, so building trust, advocating for people's needs in, in these situations are important. Um, we, we can respond with purpose and intention, which is huge. How many times have you ever been in a situation where somebody says, hey, I'm sorry, Jen. And you're like, yeah, I don't think you are. You know, like, yeah. that really didn't feel like that didn't feel like you truly are apologetic or sincere. Well, repairing harm, having somebody actually do things to repair the harm demonstrates purpose. It demonstrates intentionality behind us moving forward through this conflict situation, getting to a resolution. The other piece that I'll throw in there, and you mentioned accountability several times, and I've yet to mention it. It is a huge part of this conversation for a couple different reasons. But when you engage in storytelling, when you engage in this, this notion of checking where our biases and our inferences are at, when, when you focus on repairing the harm, that's where true accountability takes place. True accountability happens when somebody understands the impact that they cause to somebody else. You can quote me on that. It's actually in a book. Okay. <laughs> true story. What uh, book? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the little book of restorative justice. We'll get to that. Uh, but uh but the accountability is a big piece of this, you know, so we, we we're driving accountability by engaging in those, those processes um, and accountability needs to be present. You know, if I was to say, what are the staples, what are the foundations of, of being restorative, thinking about impact and harm when it comes to conflict, it's rebuilding trust. It's advocating for people's needs. It's responding with purpose and it's active accountability. Those pieces have to be a part of that. The question I often get at this point in the conversation is great. You know, this sounds awesome. You know, it also sounds kind of magical. And I don't know if it's going to work in every situation. Let me let me address that because that's real. It's not this stuff is not applicable in every situation. I think it's applicable in most situations. But this doesn't work when one people aren't actively accountable in the process. If you have somebody who doesn't want to engage, if you have somebody that doesn't take ownership over this, if you have somebody who's just downright dismissing the situation this isn't going to work. It's going to be a real challenge. You're going to be in an uphill battle. I'm not saying it can't work, but you're going to be in a battle. Basic moral good versus evil. Okay. If somebody can't comprehend what is good or bad, um, and I'm talking about the worst of worst in our society, this is where it doesn't play out. Okay. So am I advocating for restorative justice when it comes to, you know, murderers, you know, that do the most grievous, grievous crimes in our society? Not necessarily, but, but, there are examples in which restorative justice has been used in murder situations. Okay. That, that could be a whole nother conversation we have. Right. So I'm not dismissing it at the same time, but it makes it challenging. The other piece I think this is probably most important is when there is such an impact, such a harm caused that it cannot be repaired. The challenge with that is that we have to look here internally and say, all right, can this be repaired with me first and foremost? I'm going to make the argument in most cases I can. If our hearts are in the right place, if our hearts are going to move forward in the way that we've been talking today, there's a chance. But there are situations that happen in which harm can't be repaired. You know, for example, you're at work, boss is constantly doing things. You've done all that you can possibly do, you know, to address the situation, but yet it continues and you continue to get impacted emotionally by this. Well, maybe it's time for you to leave. Maybe it's time to find a new place to work, right? Um, maybe that conflict situation that has then, you know, become a prolonged significant impact, it, it can't be resolved. 
I think that's an important piece to bring up because a lot of people might still be tolerating situations that aren't great for them, whether that's in a relationship or whether that's even your work environment, whether or not that's healthy and productive and a place that you need to be is that sometimes there has to be the point where we say it it can't be repaired and I'm not going to endure X, Y, Z to be able to try and live off of hope. Like, I'm just going to say it can't be repaired and some things it can be. Yeah. And that's the difference, right? So you at least then have a reason versus boy, Jen, I just don't like you and I don't like what you believe. Thus, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Like there's a difference, right? It's not polarizing. There's a reason as to why you make that decision. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think the accountability piece is huge just for each of us as individuals. You might have to take a hard look at yourself. You might have to reflect on some situations that maybe you've had conflict. Just like myself, I don't love how I showed up in my twenties. I think that there are people that probably loved working with me. And there are definitely people that were probably like, I don't see Jen ever again. It's totally fine. And I, you know, I respect that, but it's, it is hard. I don't want to say it's hard. It's, it's not even easy for me to share these moments of imperfection and mistakes, right? It's hard, but it has to start with that because if you don't own it, you can't control it. And if I don't own the fact that sometimes I get too emotionally riled in situations, then I can't manage those emotions in those situations, or I can't even make a repair attempt to apologize. Hey, I have a tendency to X, Y, Z. And so I love that just talking about, you know, if we don't take accountability, there's no, there's nothing that's going to happen. That's why I said what I said at the beginning, for me, this is a journey. It's it's one that that I don't see ever ending in any way, shape, or form. You know, I've talked about conflict for years now. Um, you know, I'm studying it. I, 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 I passionate about it, but I hate, to, I, I don't like conflict. Still don't. In fact, I'm probably the worst at conflict in, in, in my immediate family with the ones who I love the most, which is really a sad story. Okay. And I, I admit that, you know, but I also admit it saying, you know what, there's an opportunity here for me to grow, to become better. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better business owner. I want to do things better day in a day. I want to move hearts. I want to move my heart in this conversation, right? Like that's the difference. And that's why I say it's a journey. It's a process. It does not end. And and, and to think that you know conflict and master it and it will never happen again to you, again, I will challenge and I will say, nah, that's not real. I'm going to, I'm going to call BS on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's what I've really enjoyed our conversation, Kevin. I think there are just a lot of really interesting considerations in terms of why we can't resolve it, how we can resolve it. What are any final thoughts that you would like to share with our audience before we wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. I think what comes to mind that maybe I haven't talked about yet um, is one, if it's not, if it's not uncomfortable, you're probably not doing it right. And I, I, I've often said that uh, in, in context of, of asking the right questions, are we doing all that we can do? But when it comes to the reality of how these things play out and the work that we need to do with it, there's intentionality behind it. There has to be purpose behind it. And if that's not uncomfortable, you're probably not engaging in the right conversation. So I would say keep that in mind in the conversation. You know, this work is always done with people, not to people. So if, if we want to have a good, healthy conversation around conflict or a conflict situation, we do that with each other. I don't do that to you as my employee. I don't do that to you as my friend. I don't do that to you as my wife. 
we do this together as an example. Um, and I, I, again, I, I think for me, the biggest thing out of all this is, is think about the harm, think about the impact, you know, if we're focusing on that, that first and foremost, it sets the catalyst to every other facet of how we engage in storytelling, how we engage in how we look at our inferences that we're making our biases in those conversations. So, you know, think about those Think you know, the three tips, inferences, storytelling, uh, thinking about harm. It needs to be uncomfortable to some degree to do it well, to do it right. And we do this with people. It's, it's all about the relationships and the people that we have. Good. We are in the business of working with people, not robots. <laughs> We're complex. Exactly. I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I just love your passion for this. It makes me even think that I want to have you back to even talk about what are questions that we can ask to help people embrace conflict? Because there are, you know, you talked about questions that there are still people that are like, I don't want to go into that discomfort that you're recommending Kevin, but maybe it's just giving people some guidance on how to navigate those conversations, which is what we can bring you back for. I would love to have it. Kevin, where can people, or how can people connect with you? Yeah, the uh, best way, shoot me an email, uh, kevin.mowers at crestcom.com. Uh, I'm on all the social media platforms as well. LinkedIn's probably the best place to find me. Kevin Mowers, M-O-W-E-R-S, is where you can find me on all those platforms. Um, Jen, I appreciate the time today. Oh my gosh, Kevin, thank you for what you do. Thank you for just developing the leaders in Ohio, but obviously now you're touching the hearts of a broader audience and we're grateful for you. All right, thanks, Jen. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Kevin. And if you want to connect with him, you can connect with him on LinkedIn, kevin-mowers backslash, or you can send him an email at kevin.mowers at crestcom.com and also connect with them on any of your social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's episode or know someone that could benefit from talking about conflict and finding healthier ways to resolve it, share this episode with them, share it with your team members, share it with your leaders, because we know that when we resolve conflict in a better way, great things can happen. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service.